Welcome, you're listening to A Pop of Psych, a fun and educational podcast about the interdisciplinary applications of psychology. Hello, my name is Michelle and I am a senior from New Jersey and today I will be your main host. On the 11th episode of A Pop of Psych, I will be discussing a topic that is a bit out of the ordinary and nothing like our past topics. We will be talking about psychopaths and sociopaths. I anticipate that this will be on the lengthier side, so sit tight and get ready to gain some insight into this unusual topic. Before I delve into the nitty-gritty information regarding distinctions between and signs of psychopaths and sociopaths, I will be discussing my personal interest in this peculiar topic as the starting point. So one day, I was asking my psychology teacher for some book recommendations, and one of the books she recommended was The Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry. Now, before I describe my personal thoughts on it, the following that I'm about to say is the Wikipedia synopsis. Quote, the Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry, is a 2011 book written by British author John Ronson in which he explores the concept of psychopathy along with the broader mental health quote-unquote industry, including mental health professionals and the mass media, end quote. So first things first, I just want to mention that the book is written in a very conversational and non-academic tone, and because it's so casual, it's more approachable for those who aren't well versed in um, psychology and psychopaths and things that you might associate with more academic fields as well. So basically all I'm saying is anyone can read it and at the same time it's quite insightful and gets you thinking about are you a psychopath or like are the people in your life a psychopath who may display some symptoms of psychopathy and for a while I was very hyper aware of psychopathic symptoms everywhere in TV, literature, and whatnot. Um, currently, I am now just mildly invested, still invested and interested in this topic, but mildly. And I have to say, it's quite fascinating and intriguing. Um, I do not want to spoil anything, and before I do talk about some of the non-spoiler points of the book, I do want to touch upon that for whatever reason you don't have time to invest in reading such a book, then I would definitely recommend you to listen to um, Ronson's TED Talk on this topic, and it's equally engaging and gripping, although the audio quality may not be the best. Just highly recommend it. And additionally, in the book itself, Ronson talks about his experiences visiting and talking with many psychopaths, psychologists, and psychiatrists who are experts in this field. And in particular, he talks about and meets Canadian psychologist Robert D. Hare, who is the creator of the Hare Psychopathy Checklist, which is basically a 20-item test that is administered to detect psychopathy or psychopathy. I don't know which one is the correct way to say it, but anyways, after taking a look at this checklist, Ronson entertains the following thought. Um, maybe and perhaps many corporate and governmental leaders are psychopaths whose actions towards them around them, towards those around them, sorry, can be inexplicable, but only explainable by um, taking into the taking into account the fact that they are perhaps psychopaths. 
And the book also goes into some unorthodox and controversial treatments and entertains a discussion on them. While it's not quite related to our topic today, I found it very interesting to read about as well. So that's another topic that was discussed. And I think a great point that I want to highlight that Ronson makes towards the end in the conclusion of his book is that it's very difficult to draw the line between sanity, insanity, and eccentricity. Essentially, we should not judge others solely by their quote-unquote maddest edges or basically weird idiosyncrasies. Now, I'm just going to stop here with my overview of the book, and I hope that you got the idea that I highly recommend it in order to find out more about Ronson's journey in this realm of psychopathy and his qualms about diagnosing people as psychopaths. So this is how I cultivated an interest in this topic um, in specific. And now in the upcoming segment, I'll be sharing some information that I found out about differentiating between psychopaths and sociopaths. Now, I think it is important to start this talk with a preface that definitions of a psychopath and sociopaths are not in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also referred to as DSM, which is the official handbook that is periodically released and updated by the American Psychiatric Association. Um, the fifth edition of the DSM, which I will be referencing, was released in 2013 and lists both sociopathy and psychopathy under the heading of antisocial personality disorder, which is also referred to as ASPD. Now, experts state that there are um, a lot of common behavioral traits that characterize antisocial personality disorder, which can lead to some confusion when people are just using psychopath and sociopath as interchangeable terminology. The following are the key shared traits of people who follow under who fall under the um, ASPD category in the DSM. So, disregard for laws and social mores, disregard for the rights of others, the failure to feel remorse or guilt most of the time, and the tendency to display violent or aggressive behavior. So basically, there is a starting, startling, sorry, startling lack of empathy for others on a basic humane level. And there's also a general lack of conscience, which is basically that little voice in our head that guides our moral compass telling us what um, is right and what is wrong. While this is officially not in the DSM, Experts in the field of psychopathy, psychopathy, and sociopathy say that the fundamental difference between the two have to do with the notion of nature versus nurture. So first, I'll be discussing the characteristics of psychopaths, and then I'll move on to the characteristics of sociopaths while using comparative language so that, you know, you, you get what is different and similar um, about them. So basically, psychopaths are the result of nature or the genetics, while sociopath is the result of nurture or someone's environment. Now, psychopath is psychopathy, psychopathy, is that it? Is related to a physiological defect uh, that results in the underdevelopment of a part of the brain that is responsible for impulse control and emotions. And recent research suggests that a psychopath's brain is not like other people's. There are actually physical differences that make it hard for the person to identify with someone else's distress and want to cause distress for others. 
and um this brain imaging difference is also perpetuated in um it manifests itself in like actual bodily functions so these differences can even change basic body functions and this um the following are some examples that i found when uh, most people see blood or violence in say like a movie uh, their hearts beat faster breathing quickens and palms get heavy that's what i go through when i watch a horror movie or even an action film at that however a psychopath actually has an opposite reaction when they see like this blood and violence um they get calmer and this quality helps psychopaths to be fearless and engage in risky behavior and have no fear of consequences of their actions so this all kind of makes sense and as a result, psychopaths just tend to be aggressive and very predatory in nature. Um, psychopaths also view others as objects for their amusement. And although psychopaths lack empathy, startling lack of empathy, they have a disarming or even charming personalities. And they this also makes sense because they are also known to be manipulative and skilled at easily gaining other people's trust. And this is probably because of the fact that many psychopaths learn how to mimic human emotions despite their inability to actually feel them. And so they'll be they'll appear normal to a lot of unsuspecting people. And in like the real world in society, these psychopaths are often well educated and actually hold steady jobs. And some are just so good at this manipulation and mimicry that they can even go on and have families and foster other long-term relationships and no one around them will ever suspect uh, their psychopathic nature at all. However, when uh, the psychopaths do end up committing crimes, they carefully plan every single detail in advance and often have even contingency plans in place. Basically, they always have a plan B, plan C, they just plan for everything. And so basically, this makes them do well during a crisis. And unlike sociopaths, psychopathic criminals are cool, calm, and meticulous, which also makes them effective criminals, which is bad for the general public. And it's also bad for the general public because they're generally more difficult to identify or uh, identify and find um, compare in comparison to sociopaths. And it's hard to know when a psychopathic predator has targeted you for exploitation. Now, what I just said is basically a list of characteristics uh, often found in a psychopath. And this is very cursory. This is by no means meant to be in-depth and comprehensive. And on that note, I'll be sharing some of the traits that I read about in sociopaths. Sociopaths is Sociopathy um, is more likely... The product of childhood trauma and physical or emotional abuse as opposed to psychopathy which is basically innate you're born with it um, sociopathy appears to be learned rather than innate what i just said and these sociopaths are actually capable of empathy in certain circumstances and with certain individuals um, these people are also volatile volatile and prone to emotional outbursts which include lots of fits of rage and more likely than psychopaths um to be uneducated and live on the fringes of society so more often than not sociopaths won't be uh climbing up the corporate ladder and becoming these government officials they'll most likely be like i guess on the fringes of society kind of struggling to get by and sometimes many are unable to hold down a steady job or to stay in one place for very long. And it's also 
kind of i found an interesting fact that i want to note um many psychopaths sorry many sociopaths are actually able to form attachment to a particular individual or group although they have no regard for society at all or society's rules in general and these meaningful attachments of any sociopath will be very few in number and limited scope um, which is self-explanatory, I guess. And basically, the point is that sociopaths struggle with relationships in general, while psychopaths are actually really good at fostering these relationships. And in the eyes of outsiders, sociopaths will generally appear to look or be disturbed or erratic, and any crimes that sociopaths commit will tend to be haphazard and spontaneous rather than planned, which is in stark contrast and opposition to soci- um to psychopaths sorry i'm keep mixing up the words i hope it's not that confusing but ultimately from a diagnostic standpoint psychopathy is rarer than sociopathy and is considered to be the most dangerous uh, form and manifestation of antisocial personality disorder now i'll be summarizing one last thing that i found that i thought was really interesting and really cool actually so i encourage you guys to just read about james fallon basically he is an expert on psychopaths he is a neuroscientist at the uc irvine school of medicine and he first began studying uh, the brains of murderers rapists and other criminals in the mid-1990s when uc irvine first got its first pet uh, brain imaging machine and he didn't start Uh, immediately focusing on the area of psychopaths until about 10 years ago when something one day happened that made him rethink his entire academic career focus. So one day, Fallon's technician brought him a stack of brain scans from the PET machine from an unrelated Alzheimer's study. And as he was just looking and sifting through the scans of these healthy participants, which all looked normal, he all of a sudden got to the very last scan. He looked at it and he thought it was very unusual. And it was unusual because it looked exactly like the brain of a murderer's brain scan. It had the same patterns and whatnot. And it turns out the image wasn't just a scan of just any random um, participant in the study. It was actually a scan of his very own brain. And I hope that this summary that I just gave piques your interest because it definitely did for mine and i definitely recommend that you check articles about james fallon out i think they're pretty cool and interesting to read about you know you're researching something and you find that something within you and if you are just generally interested in doing more reading make sure to check out our website which will always be linked in the podcast description and for this episode in particular i've included a lot of links that i've encountered while doing research for this episode and i found all of them personally interesting to me And so definitely take the time to skim through um, whenever your time allows, obviously. And on that note, I'll be giving some examples of psychopaths and sociopaths in news and pop culture that I found. Now I'll be listing some examples of psychopaths and sociopaths in pop culture to give you guys more insight into what exactly psychopaths and sociopaths may look like in our media as well. And I'm doing this so that this topic is at least a bit less distant since many of our other topics are quite relatable. So the goal of me giving these examples is to make this topic more approachable as well. Now I'm just going to be listing some psychopaths Um, examples in pop culture which include Dexter 
Anton Sugar in No Country for Old Men, Henry in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and Patrick Batterman in American Psycho. And now I'm just going to be listing off some pop culture examples of sociopaths. Um, the Joker in The Dark Knight, although I can argue that he can also be seen as a psychopath, but it's all because of how uh, literature and pop culture portrays him, but that's besides the point. And moving on, J.D. in Heathers, Alex DeLarge in A Clockwork Orange. Now, I haven't um, watched most of these films, so I can't attest to all of this personally. However, the following examples are the ones that I have researched more in depth, so I will give you guys more context and insight. Now, the example I'll be giving isn't exactly pop culture, but more in the news, so you guys will understand when I play this audio clip. The rare glimpse inside the mind of a serial murderer. The PT BTK killer terrorized Wichita, Kansas for three decades. Now, in a jailhouse interview, you'll hear directly from him how and why he committed these gruesome crimes. Here's Dateline NBC's Edie Magnus. BTK seemed uncatchable. Everyone wondered who he was, where he was, until just a few months ago, when a most unlikely man who'd lived among them all along, Dennis Rader, was arrested. I am BTK. Yeah. And I'm the guy they're after, 100%. This interview, obtained by Dateline after it was done, was conducted by a Harvard-trained forensic psychologist, Robert Mendoza, who performs more than 100 evaluations for criminal and civil cases each year. He was hired by the defense team to assess Raider's sanity. I got this fantasy. I started working out this fantasy online. And once that, potential, that person became a fantasy, I could just loop loop it over, I'd lay in bed at night thinking about this person, uh, the events and how it's going to happen, and it became a real, almost like a picture show. You know, I wanted to go ahead and produce it and direct it and go through with it, no matter what the costs were and the, you know, the consequences. Uh, it was going to happen one way or another. No one knows for sure why Raider had to kill to fulfill those fantasies. In this interview with the psychologist, Raider dismisses each victim as a project. He says he'd begin by stalking. Stalking stage is when you start learning more about your victims, potential victims. Uh, went to the library, I looked up their names, that address, cross-referenced, and called them a couple of times. Drove by there whenever I could. And each time he struck, Raider said he was armed with what he calls his hit kit. Oh, it contain what? Uh, plastic bags, rope, tape, uh, knife, gun. All those wouldn't be in the kit, they'd be where I could have them in the house and gather them up. Tools that would come to define the work of BTK. The victims were often discovered bound with tape or rope tied in unusual knots. In his jailhouse interview, Raider blamed his murder spree on that mysterious force he has always claimed was way beyond his control, Factor X. Something that's, I use it, uh, I actually think I'm maybe possessed with demons. Uh, I was dropping my head when I was a kid. Uh, I talked to some uh, theological Christian people, and some of those people are really strong. They actually think, well, the Bible says that, that there's demons and, and, uh, within you know, or can come into you. Uh, that's the only thing I can figure out. I have, you know, uh, you know, something drove me to do this. You know, the normal people just don't do this. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. It's just. It controls me, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's like it's in the driver's seat. Ten innocent people, 
murdered to satisfy the twisted needs of one selfish man. So this was Dennis Rader, who is a serial killer better known by his self-assigned pseudonym of Bind, Torture, Kill, or BTK, which is just another example of his psychopathic pride. Um, Dennis Rader murdered 10 people, which included men, women, and children between the long years of 1974 and 1991. And Rader was um, enjoying this game that he played with the police catch me if you can like he he sent them numerous taunting letters throughout these long years and raider was able to avoid detection and capture until the year of 2005 when he was finally tripped up and made a mistake through his own narcissism and egomania and whatnot and basically in between each of these murders as you can tell because they took um, over a long period of time so raider had this long period between each murder, so in between, Raider lived a very normal looking life with a wife and two children. He was perceived by the people in the neighborhood as a pillar in his Wichita, Kansas community. However, inwardly, Raider was harboring these uh, sexual needs and satisfying these needs by displaying his compulsion to kill for months and even years at a time by engaging in these fantasies until the need to commit murder became so overwhelming again. And this all happened in a clandestine manner. And basically, he's just um, waiting for his next target and he's just satisfying his needs before he finds that next target. Currently, he is now serving uh, 10 life sentences in prison in isolation. And as um, the audio clip shows as evidence, he remains as unrepentant as ever. The audio clip also just demonstrates that he's he sounds his tone of voice sounds almost prideful and obviously there's no remorse in there at all. The one thing I want to emphasize with this specific example is that the fact that this psychopathic serial killer wore a mask of sanity and appeared sane to others. And I found this quite chilling as I was reading about this case study as well as this uh, new, the news surrounding this in general, as well as just watching this interview clip. It, I was very chilling to me. And moreover, he says he was dropped on his head um, during the interview. So while I don't know every single detail about this case, I can speculate that this perhaps changed something in his brain or maybe he was already born in this matter. But the point is that he displays all the signs of a psychopath. He was calculating and planning out all his murders. Um, a lot of murders took place between those years that he was uh, active as a serial killer and he was very meticulous and just preparing everything. He says he took time to stalk his targets as well. So that's just more evidence of him being very calculating. And he takes pride in them and experienced no remorse all while under the guise of a family man. Next up, I have an example for a sociopath. While sociopaths seem like they would be easy to detect as criminals in the news, most are actually just psychopaths. So um, I had difficulty finding um, a serial killer or murderer or criminal that many experts agreed was a sociopath. So instead, I just did some of my own digging and I managed to find a sociopath in literature. And this sociopath is the warden in the book Holes written by the author Louis Sacker. I hope I pronounced that right. My apologies. And uh, basically, I had a lot of um, fun kind of doing a little bit of background research and just re-jogging my memory for this because 
Uh, I read this book as a child, so, you know, just a lot of childhood memories associated with this book. Anyways, I'm just going to get into basically a little overview of who exactly this warden is. This woman, um, the warden is basically a descendant of Trout and Linda Walker, who are the original owners of Green Lake, which is just the setting in which the book takes place. And just like them, the warden is greedy, selfish, impatient, and abusive. And as you can tell by this very brief description already, she's just the villain, the antagonist of the story. She's the one who calls all the shots at the Camp Green Lake. And she cruel. Uh, she's very cruel towards the treatment towards the boys who are the protagonists of the book. Uh, if you haven't read it already, I also recommend that you read this. This is just a nice little uh, ch children's book. And basically... Um, just going back on track, the book's portrayal of the warden isn't exactly fair, of course, because she's not exactly a three-dimensional character and she's not the focus of the book, so there's not much um, deep character development going on. But just based on this portrayal of the book, I can kind of classify her as a sociopath. And this one um, aspect that I found that displays her sociopathic tendencies is evident in the following quote. Quote, do you know how long dot 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 her voice trailed off then started up again? When I was little, I'd watch my parents dig holes every weekend and holiday. When I got bigger, I had to dig too, even on Christmas. End quote. So this quote basically shows that she's doomed by her own family curse of digging these holes all the time. And her past experiences have definitely altered her very severely that she's lost contact with reality, which kind of makes sense as she's very cold and um, not nice to the boys. And she's very obsessed with finding this particular suitcase that she was forced to dig for her throughout her entire childhood. So this has manifested into her becoming these uh, this antagonizing a force towards uh, innocent young boys in order to find this single suitcase and she won't have this inner peace until she finds that suitcase and it's clear that she does not care who suffers along the way as she tries to find this particular suitcase and in this particular scene and quote the readers kind of also discover the warden's relationship to trout and linda walker and basically through nurture this shows that um, the warden has become a sociopath of sorts. She's basically been nurtured to harbor this uh, burning desire to find the suitcase, but because she has uh, yet not to find, she has yet to find the suitcase. She's just basically manifesting that desire by being very abusive and impatient and mean towards these uh, young boys. And on that note, that's all I have for today in terms of examples. Just two main examples. Um, I'm hoping to do perhaps more psychoanalysis of um, psychopaths in books in the future. Let me know if that's a possibility. I'd definitely be down to do that. And on that note, I will be finally moving on to the concluding segment of the podcast. In the 11th episode of A Pop of Psych, I discussed my personal interest or how I became interested in this topic through the book uh, by John Ronson that's about psychopaths. I also talked about the differences between psychopaths and sociopaths and also provided some examples of them in the media and the news. I chose this topic through this episode because I wanted to highlight the importance of empathy towards others, especially during these times. 
I talked about sociopaths and psychopaths to provide insight about them, but also to convey what happens when there is this lack of regard and empathy towards others. I just hope that this episode really highlighted the importance of empathy and drove this point home. And as usual, please feel free to send in audio messages or requests through our anchor link. And thank you for listening and we'll be back soon with another engaging episode within the next two weeks.